0: On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, Bar Tell Me Something Good, we're off to the races with the 1986 horse bedding comedy, Ooh, The Long Shot. Welcome back to another edition of Bartell Me Something Good, a podcast about the life and work of actor and filmmaker Paul Bartell. I'm your host, Adriana Gober, and I'm joined once again by my Bartell casting comrades, Liam O'Donnell and Doug Tilley. Uh, Liam, I'll start with you. Uh, how have things been for you out in the Chicago burbs?
1: I mean, uh, some things have been great i went to a little little expo called cinema wasteland that was a great time uh met some cool people i definitely bent some ears about uh cinema smorgasbord so hopefully we, we might have some new listeners we might not who knows i know it's <laughs> obligated just because i'm nice to them but if we do and i met you at cinema wasteland hey thanks for checking it out and taking my my chattering seriously i appreciate that
0: that was your first time there right
1: Never been before. I, You know, it's not, for people who've been to things like Monster Mania or Frightmare Weekend, it's not nearly as big as those. It's definitely a smaller thing. But the people who go, it seems like, are very loyal to it. And folks come ready to spend money. Like, we made a lot more money with a lot less people than we have at any of these bigger sort of uh, convention-y things. Liam, who's the most famous person you saw there? I'll tell you what, Doug. There weren't that many big names there. Tom Savini was there. Which is odd because they used to be
0: known for really bringing out.
1: Well, and I think they, I think they had a few uh, that were also there briefly that I didn't get to physically see because I didn't really leave my table the whole time. I was just like selling stuff, you know. Uh, I know Tom Savini was there. You insulted Tom Savini. You told me about this story. Yeah, I was mean to Tom Savini. (laughs) That's okay
0: Um, because he's mean to a ton of people.
2: He's mean to other people, so it all worked out.
1: Uh, Felicia Rose was there and she's always nice she's like over she's like overwhelmingly nice in a way like she's walking in in the morning when we're all setting up like she's like everyone's mom or something it was kind of weird uh, and then I met I don't remember her name but uh, she's one of the people who's in um uh oh now I don't remember the movie this, <laughs> this is, is the worst great. story great ever. story William
0: amazing <laughs> the, the hills
1: have eyes she's one of the freaky people in the hills have eyes oh that's but- cool. Uh, she, I only knew it was her because she was wearing a T-shirt of herself, <laughs> and then she came well. up to like talk to me <laughs> after the expo, and I was like, "Oh, you were in the Hills Have Eyes. I love that movie." And then we were just chatting and whatever. Uh, there were other people there, especially on Saturday was like their big day. I wouldn't, I didn't leave my table. I maybe left my table twice on Saturday, once to go to the bathroom and once to get the takeout that I ordered in the right. lobby. And that's it. I just was at the table doing work the whole time. We should
2: mention, by the way, that the reason Liam was at Cinema Wasteland is because he has a t
1: shirt company, Rough Cut Shirts, and you were selling shirts there. I was. And that was a, a gift to us from, uh, uh, diabolic uh, people know the the uh, home video distribution company uh, the way cinema Wasteland works is once you have a spot and you do well you never leave until you decide to leave and and by that I literally mean, The spot, like the table I was at, people walk up and they go, oh, my God, where's Diabolic? Oh, my God. Like so upset that they weren't there. And I had to be like, it's okay. They're going to be back next time. They just couldn't make it. I'm filling in for them. They'll be back. And people were like, oh, thank God. Oh, my God. Oh, thank God. (laughs) By the way,
2: you can pick up shirts from Rough Cut at roughcutfanclub.com. Thanks, Doug. Just trying to try to remind you that it's something that you're trying to sell. Yeah, I do, a th- <laughs> hey, I do a thing. I guess it's cool, whatever. Who knows? They're very good shirts. I have a few, and they're wonderful. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you did pretty well there. I've never been to a horror convention before, Liam, because I have social anxiety. But it does sound like a place that, uh, well, I was going to say something positive. But actually, now that I think about it, I can't think of a positive thing that I would experience <laughs> at a place like that.
1: <laughs> do they show movies there? This one is different than a lot of other ones because they do show movies. In fact, oh. they, have a, they have a room with a 16-millimeter projector that's showing stuff the whole time that they're open. And that stuff ranges from, you know, horror and exploitation films to just, like, Three Stooges shorts and, like, all kinds of stuff. That's fun. Like, that's really fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I think that's one – it's, it's set apart, I think, from other things in that while they do get some great guests – um, They also show more movies than other similar things do and a lot of like really rare shit as (laughs) well. And the people who then there are like serious, like you can come and find posters you can't find anywhere else. You can find uh, people selling movies that you can't find other places. So it is very much a collector's event. Uh, but, you know, I, the thing for me that's a little bit weird is like, I'm not a huge collector. Right. So I'm a little like not a part of that world, even though I want them to buy my t shirts, you know? Yeah, I don't
2: have money or space to do things you need to yeah. collect things.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Diabolic, I saw Jesse at the John Waters weekend at the Mahoning drive in.
1: Well, and that's what he was doing instead of being at of a Wasteland. Yeah. When I, when I texted him, he was him, cleaning said, John
0: Waters' trailer.
1: That is literally what I was going to just about to say that because I texted him like, hey, th-, you know, I just wanted to say thank you again because I really appreciated the hookup. And then I said, you know, people love you here. They're all asking about you. And he sent me a picture of the trailer. and goes, just tell him I'm cleaning John Waters trailer. I was like, <laughs> OK. Can, can,
2: can, can either of you elaborate on why he was doing that?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Exhumed, they brought John. Watt, they mm. That was a an Exhumed event. Sure. So had, they were responsible for, I think providing accommodations for him and i uh, harry and dan went and picked him up in baltimore so while they were doing that jesse was uh holding it down and we heighten cleaning the trailer just getting it ready for him i think i think that's what was going
2: on it wasn't i I got the impression sorry because i misinterpreted that it was like post the event and john waters had destroyed his trailer
0: (laughs) no oh i i could understand why you would think that no this was like before he arrived jesse was prepping things for him basically um because he was really concerned about covid you know because he's uh elderly yeah he's elderly. and it's true vulnerable so yeah they they got him a nice trailer that he could you know relax in until <laughs> we, he was needed
2: we talk about john waters a lot on this podcast <laughs> we do
0: uh, anyway we should probably move on but uh so thanks i just want to say liam i just think it's funny that i had asked how things were out in illinois and your entire answer was about what you did in Ohio.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's true, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Well,
0: that's all I have going
1: on. I'm not that interested.
0: That's fine. Uh, Doug, what about you? How have you been doing?
2: Uh, I'm uh, working, uh, which uh, that shouldn't be a a huge surprise, but I work at a university, so this time of year gets very, very busy for me, and it's also... Liam, I don't know if this has happened to you. We had a lot of unseasonable warmth, and I don't want to talk about the weather at length, but it was unseasonable, but just in, like in the last 24 hours, it's gotten so fucking cold. And uh, it just, you know, it it does feel a lot more fall-like out there, but I'm not adjusted, right? I got to have a little little refractory period in between the two temperatures, and it's not working for me, uh, so I need to kind of reevaluate my entire wardrobe. Might have to buy some of those rough-cut shirts uh, to uh, to maybe a, a double or triple layer them.
1: I appreciate that. I mean, I'm in the same I'm in the same boat, Doug, because I was going to take all of our winter coats to the dry cleaner before we needed them, and uh, it's suddenly cold here. And I mean, I don't I haven't even taken my pants out of storage. Like I have two pairs of pants I just leave out all summer, but mostly my. <laughs> I mean, by storage, I mean I threw them in the <laughs> no, closet. of course, right? I'm but... just thinking
2: you got like just a, a place that you keep
1: on rental all year round yeah, for your totally. pants. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I got a drawer full of shorts. And I even yesterday, stubbornly, I was like, I'm going to wear shorts and a hoodie. I'm sure that'll be fine. And about halfway through the day, I'm like, I'm so fucking cold. What was I thinking? Yeah. I'm not one of these weird white men. I need to put <laughs> pants on. I don't know how Kevin Smith does it, but... <laughs>
2: At least maybe 1999 version of Kevin Smith But anyway, no, everything is great Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the spookier times of the year uh, As of the time this episode comes out It will still be in the midst of October Actually, my hope is to get this episode out tomorrow So yeah, we're going to be deep into spooky season in just a a week or so And I just, uh, I love everything about that part of the year
0: You're here Um, I, I don't really have much to report myself I've just been really busy working I did uh it things were slow enough uh last weekend where i got to see boy genius twice which is like the only fun thing i've I've done (laughs) in quite some time um but i mean that was great it was just i mean both of you have probably probably are aware that i am a really big fan of that band Mm -hmm. and the the three individuals uh in their their solo work as well as uh, what they've done together as Boy Genius. But uh, it's just great going and being in, like, a 10,000-seat venue full of, like, other queer women and uh, just really great music. Um, so that was fun. And that's about it for me. How are they uh, live?
2: Are they, like, a... a is it oh, it?
0: they're super scenes. tight. They sound really good. I mean, uh, their, their voices are incredible together they blend really well. And uh, I, th- I think they're better live than they are on their recordings. Interesting. Uh, just a lot of energy. And, uh, yeah.
2: Well, if Boy Genius are they coming to disappoint. your town, listeners, you uh, you shell out and, and experience that. I mean, they're well, huge right the now. Well,
0: the tour is about over. Well, I <laughs> mean, I think they're the,
2: done the next time they may or may not tour.
0: <laughs> but before we move on to our main discussion about uh, – today's feature uh doug i want to hear from you a bit because you had mentioned before we started recording that you recently watched brian de palma's film hi mom and Paul Bartel makes an appearance in that movie. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it He ha- makes an appearance, though I imagine even a lot of people who have seen that movie and even people who are big fans of De Palma might not even know that he's in there. I know that he was credited for it, so that's why I was keeping my eyes out the entire time. And then after I finished watching, I'm like, where the hell is Paul Bartel?" And then I had to look it up. He's actually in the opening credits. He actually plays the uncle of Garrett Graham's character in there. And th- th- this, the movie has sort of a... Um, Rare window-ish conceit where you're looking at apartments and different rooms that are across uh, the, the the apartment building complex, and that's one of the rooms that you see in the opening sequence. And it's, it's just Paul Bartel, briefly. I, you barely see him, but you can hear his voice just for a moment at the very beginning of the movie. But still, so nice to see. And it because I'm in the process currently of watching every single Brian De Palma movie chronologically because every year around this time of year. I do a uh, filmography podcast with the podcast Under the Stairs, and we've done, you know, a lot of different directors, and this year we're doing De Palma, we're actually splitting it in two because his filmography is so huge, but I'm starting right from the beginning, and I, um, I've been reading up a lot on him as I've been going along, and I just didn't realize how much their careers of Paul Bartel and De Palma were kind of running parallel At that time period, you know, they were showing their films together. Their early films uh, were were screening together. And I guess that they were part of a at least a similar enough circle that that's how Paul, Paul Bartel ended up in this movie. But it just it kind of presents this kind of parallel world. Just the idea that, you know, when you think about those directors that would come out of the 70s, like the Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola and De Palma and of course, Paul Bartel. A lot of them made those pit spots, pit stops with uh, the Roger Corman group, right? And uh, but some of them, you know, they all went off in these different directions. It is a little, I would say, disheartening, uh, and I'm only saying that in the light of the movie that we're going to be talking about today, to a certain extent, just to see how much more difficult Paul Bartel had it in regards to making movies that are a little more personal um, c- compared to some of his contemporaries like De Palma. Um, but it's, it, I'm sure, it's something that we're going to be talking about more, particularly after we get. Past this particular episode,
0: yeah, for sure. Like the the next film, I think. <laughs> I gotta. I haven't seen High Mom, so I have to check that out.
2: It's really strange, but I have to say, it's there's a part in it, uh, and anyone who's seen the movie would know what I'm talking about. It's it, because the movie it kind of is all over the place, but they do this live performance, like it, it's it's supposed to be this kind of black militant performance. Where all these white audience members have to participate in this event about what it's like to be black. I think it's called Be Black Baby or something like that. It's something that's referred to all throughout it. And then they do it at the end of the movie. And it is so intense. For a movie that's supposed to be just a comedy. It's so weird and intense and very much of its time. I'm still like, whenever I think about it, it's all I can think about in regards to the movie. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's something else. It's uh, It definitely... Is different from the movies that I've been watching so far But I mean like I'm stuck And this is for people who probably don't care about this But he Brian De Palma filmed a live performance of Uh, the Greek play Dionysus that had been done in New York in 1969 and he released it as Dionysus 1970. And I'm just stuck on watching it because (laughs) it's not that it's boring. It's just it's a little difficult. It's on black and white and the quality isn't that great. So I'm just like stuck. And then when you get past that, you know, you're getting into Sisters and Fandom of the Paradise and Carrie, like all of these classics in a row. But I'm just, uh, you know, getting through them piece by piece.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how it was for me when I was like, filling in my Fassbender gaps, like, mm. some of the really early stuff, like, his televised plays and, like, the the more kind of French New Wave-inspired stuff that he was doing is just a lot more of a slog for me than, you know, his melodramas and what he would do later. And, yes, like, some of those those plays were, like, really tough to push through. And also, there were no no subtitles, so I was just, right. like understanding whatever I could understand and then, like, piecing things together through context clues. But anyway.
2: I mean, it, it's, still, it's still really interesting because contextually it all is part of the career pushing you towards, you know, the, the stuff that you're more interested in. And it fills in those gaps as you're watching it. But yeah, it can be a little frustrating sometimes. Last year we covered the career of William Friedkin and, you know, watching his, like, Sonny and Cher movie and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> well, I get to, you know, you, you're seeing the career build, but it's hard to be too engaged with it.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, folks... It's time to place your bets on whether this horse, meaning today's feature, will wind up in the money or end up a total scratch. Coming up next, The Long Shot.
2: Who in their right mind would take a tip from a con man wearing two left shoes?
1: You gotta put a grand on for me, compadres. A grand? You always want some calamari.
2: Borrow $5,000 from the mafia without counting it.
1: It's all there.
2: And bet their lives on a horse that's living on Medicare. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about French Majesty? Well, how you want to bet him? To live? I not guys like us ever get a break. Nobody in their right mind. Julie, you're me. do anything like this. I'm in. In. In.
1: Tim Conway. What do you want? Harvey Corman. He ain't got any. Okay, that's take paper Jack Weston. It's the only broad I know who has not change your life every day. Ted Watts! You do Look what you did!
2: The Long Shot. Once in a lifetime, it should happen to you.
0: Four losers borrow money from gangsters to bet on a sure thing, but lose. The gangsters go after them to get their money. It's the long shot from 1980. I'm sorry, I
2: I don't mean to interrupt Adrienne. That is not the plot of this movie.
0: No, it's not. That's the only synopsis. Like, if you go on, like, TMDB, IMDB, Letterboxd, it's literally the only synopsis that exists, and it's not accurate at all. They don't lose, first of all. But also, the gangsters never go after them. It's just kind of like a a thing looming over them the whole movie. Like, oh, boy. But no, that's not accurate. And also, the tagline, you'll laugh from start to finish, is a fucking <laughs> So The Long Shot from 1986. Directed by Paul Bartell. The screenplay by Tim Conway. Edited by Alan Tumayan. Cinematography by the late, great Robbie Mueller. Music by Charles Fox. And it's produced by Lang Elliott with an executive producer credit uh, from Mike Nichols. The tagline for this one is, you'll laugh from start to finish. Fellas, do you agree with that tagline? Is that an accurate tagline, in your opinion? (laughs) Doug, let's start with you.
2: I don't want to be too hard on this movie. You know, it it really feels like kicking uh, something... No one knows about this movie for the most part. This is not a movie that's talked about, even in the career of the well known people involved in it. It's not like it's held out as some sort of marker. It is not, you know, in the career of Paul Bartel, it's probably his least well known movie uh, outside of uh, maybe one in terms of ones that were widely distributed at the very least. So it's hard to be like, oh, it's of course, it sucks. I didn't hate the long shot when I was watching it, I was just confused by it. It was just hard to enjoy because you're always kind of waiting for something. Something to be as amusing as the movie seems to think it is.
0: Yeah, I mean I just did not find it funny at all. So that the tagline stuck out to me as being <laughs> not at all truthful. But the the thing to your point, uh the, the the big thing about this movie to me is that there is just not much of Bartel's distinctive authorial identity in this movie at all.
2: It, in his book that you, you, you uh you shared some of the, the text with Liam and myself, there's a suggestion that one of the things about Mike Nichols' decision to bring in Paul Bartell to direct this was that he would restrain the actors, right? Because let's for those who don't know, Tim Conway, very well-known comedic performer, started on um, McHale's Navy and then was, of course, a cast member on The Carol Burnett Show and did a lot of movies that were very kind of family-friendly with Don Knotts, had that kind of comedy partnership with Harvey Korman that was so well-known on The Carol, Carol Burnett Show. You have those two here. They're kind of well-known for cracking each other up and kind of getting wild because they were in front of those studio audiences. So they brought in Paul Bartell to be a little more, more of a restraining presence. But I have to say, when I watch this... I kind of wish they were all let loose a little bit more. It feels feels like this kind of dulled version of all of these personalities, particularly Tim Conway, who this is obviously a passion project for him. This is a Tim Conway movie, not a Paul Bartell movie. He wrote it. He stars in it. This is about subject matter that he was kind of born into. He, I guess, wanted to be a jockey when he was younger and spent a lot of time around racetracks. This is material that he knows inside and out. And it felt like, in reading about it, that the people surrounding him you know they were like we want to support Tim on in this project we love the script we think it's so funny and then you watch it and and i know that a lot of the critics said this and they it didn't make everyone involved very happy but it does feel like a tv movie it it i don't know why all of these people these incredibly talented people including Robbie Mueller and of course we we have Alan Tummin who who i think it does his some really good work here that it still feels like a made for tv movie for a lot of it
0: yeah, and it also just feels very stale in its humor and stale in the kind of like I don't know, character archetypes or for lack of a better word, some of the the tropes in the film, mm. like the uh Tim Conway's character, his wife is just sort of this kind of one-dimensional shrew character, and I'm I just I was watching it and thinking like why? <laughs>
2: It kind of feels like all the women in this movie are, like, they're very much just archetypes, just meant to be the butt of jokes, or, like, even Edie McClurek's character has nothing going on, even though she's yeah. such a funny performer, right? Also kind of weird, like, her married to Harvey Corman. I think she's, like, 20 years younger than him, <laughs> but I this, this movie doesn't really have much interest in that as well, but when I think of that Stella Stevens character, which is just such a strange inclusion in this
0: movie. Yeah. Um, William, what about you? What are your general thoughts on the long shot?
1: There's a couple moments that are almost like over the top slapstick, right? That I had this, I had some deep hope that those would lead into something so utterly madcap and stupid that I would just be like, never mind, this movie's great. But. <laughs> It never does it. It always feels like, like, A, there's a real feeling that this dialogue is funny and the dialogue is not, it's the least funny. Like, I'd rather see him pouring fondue every five minutes onto a fire <laughs> than hear more of this dialogue. But it seems like the movie's like, yeah, the scene with all the, the, the gimmicks is fun, but like when they're chopping it up as a bunch of, gambler friends that's where the humor really lies no none of that is funny no time when they are talking to each other is funny for me and maybe this is just my sense of humor for me the scene (laughs) where he's about to get murdered by this rich lady is the scene that gets the closest to kind of being funny
2: him kicking the fondue like plate underneath (laughs) yes i I, I did i have to admit i thought that that was pretty funny
1: (laughs) for for me doug it was like almost funny it was like okay this could be good where are we going with this and it just never got there the only part that actually made me laugh and maybe this just shows what a weirdo i am is when he walks out in the fucking g-string but he still got like his (laughs) socks (laughs) and his undershirt and his boxers on that i straight up went bah like i thought that was great and then it just doesn't go anywhere from there and i just was kind of like fuck man like i feel like there's a there's a lot of like uh seeds that could have been Gags that worked. The the, the one. Uh, let's talk about another one that I feel like is a wasted opportunity. When the younger actor, I forget his name, but Ted, they never say why from, this... from Blossom. Yeah, yeah. They never explain why this dude hangs out with these old men. By no. the way, they never explained. It. Other than he has a gambling problem. Why does he hang out with these old men? So he's at his trailer where he lives, and he smashes the trailer, and the fish is dying inside. <laughs> There's so much there that could be funny. I Here's the thing, y'all. I love stupid shit. And so I was ready for this movie to just cut to this stupid shit like that and really make me giggle. And that whole scene isn't funny, man. Like, I just, I, I get it. Like, the, it's okay that them chopping it up in the car while they're cooking <laughs> steaks in the backseat... That scene just wasn't that funny for me. And I was like, okay, that's a bummer, but whatever. But when you got a dude tried to save his fish and then he puts the picture... And Leo, I'm, I'm just gonna, I,
2: I don't want to disagree with you, but him putting the picture there I thought was so funny. Where he was like, okay, I, you know what? I've decided to stay. And he just puts a photo. The problem with it is that it is very exemplary of the problems with this movie, which is that later someone asks him about the fish and he's like, oh, yeah, I put a picture there. And it's just like, yeah, we saw the joke. You don't need to repeat the joke. Yeah
1: it's
0: that that is just like it's getting in the way of itself it's like undercutting the efficacy of the joke
1: very much so sorry well and no 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 no. i i think all that's fine that didn't make me laugh doug but i get (laughs) in theory it sounds like it should be funny but it in the moment i was just kind of like i don't i don't care um i uh also the way he kept talking about the the fish almost drowning out of the water that 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 kind of made me giggle a little bit um But I mean, the thing is, is that I needed it to be more crazy, because for me, there's like no movie like there's nothing if we're not there's there's not enough about these characters and what's happening in the movie for me to care about. So I just need it to be stupid. I need it to be so stupid that I'm blown away by how stupid it is. And it's not that either. So instead, there's a couple of gimmicks here and there. But overall, I'm supposed to care that these idiots make money or don't make money, I couldn't care. There's no part of me cares about what happens to them at all. And thus I needed there to be just a few moments that I lost my shit and it just, it wasn't there for me. And I certainly don't think them like when they're playing cards in the garage and the paper, none of that i thought was funny when the family i guess when the family comes to visit it comes to check out the house because they're trying to sell the house that was a little funny the but guy from the wkrp
2: toilet. i think is funny i kind of wish he was in the movie more
1: yeah, yeah 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 yeah, but for the most part i just was really frustrated because you know we've 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 watched a few things now and even the movie we watched the last one that we watched that i remember not being very great was and I already forgot the name not of the publication. Not for publication. Awesome. Yeah, Not for publication. Yeah. That had gags in it. That had gags that worked. Even if the overall movie was kind of weird and a lot of it didn't work, there was still parts that I was like, yes, fuck yes. Yes. This is good. I like this. And this movie for me Doug didn't have a single moment that I thought worked, though it had a few ideas that I felt like if they had executed them differently, could have worked. Like, I, I really feel like the scene where she goes to put on something more comfortable and then he's left to be an agent of chaos. Let's go full Leslie Nielsen here. Like, make him fucking destroy the whole apartment. I'm okay with that. Like, <laughs> he should have said, like, everything. when
2: he sets it on fire, the fact that he puts it out as opposed to the thing just turning into a raging inferno, I'm like, you look, you, comedy is exaggeration. Do not just yeah. get away with it, right? Just even with like yeah. the threat of the gangsters, that threat should be huge. They really soft-pedal a lot of the, that threat.
1: Yeah, I think there's just no, nothing really... I mean, even the idea that they're cooking steaks in the back of the car in the rainstorm. And then the big payoff is that of that is, oh no, we need air. And they open the door. And it's like, this is it. This is what we're gonna do? They should have just fucking asphyxiated in there. Like what the or set the car on fire or something. Yeah. You know? Like it just felt like there was a lot of like it, it, it almost felt like it was teasing a level of slapstick that it was then afraid to execute. Even like in, in that scene with the with the with the um with the rich woman, uh, there's like I feel like at one point he throws a piece of chocolate that the dog goes after, and I'm like, oh, dog's going to die. And then the dog doesn't die, and I'm like, what are we doing here? What are we even doing? <laughs> Liam demands a dead dog in this movie. That's what he's here for. I just think that gags, gags should have a payoff, Doug, and a lot of these gags didn't go anywhere, but and doesn't I don't it, understand why. Doesn't that go back to what right? the idea
2: of bringing in yes, Paul Bartel yes. to restrain these people? It's just like, well, this movie has... Too much restraint, but though I do think that that's built into the concept, right? This is the idea that these in are- In the script, lo- I was, yeah. Yeah, they're losers, right? As, as you're, as I'm sure you were about to say anyway, Adriana.
0: Well, I was going to say, I think the, the, the reason for bringing Paul Bartel in was to keep the performances more restrained. It wasn't right. like the writing. And a mm-hmm. lot of the issues with this movie, I think, are in the writing. Um, for me, as, as I was watching, like, as I said, the humor just didn't work for me at all. So as I was watching the movie, I kept thinking that, like, there is maybe a good movie in here somewhere about the particular kind of compulsive and destructive tendencies of a certain type of man. Mm -hmm. But that is just not the movie we got. It's not the movie that Tim Conway was interested in writing. And the movie that he was interested in writing, I'm not interested in as a member of the audience.
2: Yeah. it, It also doesn't. It kind of feels like there's a core idea, as I think you were just saying, where it is it is kind of more gritty and real, you know, where it is about yeah. a group of these four guys who have just been losers their entire life. And they're like, you know what? They're steely
0: this. Dan protagonists. Like, yeah, that's the types exactly. of people that they write songs about.
2: <laughs> and it's just like, you know what? We're just going to we're going to get in over our heads but we're going to do it because we just want to have this one big shot, you know, the long shot and maybe it'll turn out but there's also the danger involved. That feels like a movie that already does exist in some ways probably. Yeah. But the the idea that then you punctuate it with Scenes with Eddie Deason as a parking attendant and, you know, a scene where you have to unclog a toilet where, which I have to admit, was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just because it was a kind of isolated comedy sketch of him just destroying his own bathroom. But just, it it wants to be two things at once and they're such at odds with each other. And I think that's really clear in something that I know that we were going to talk about anyway, but I got to bring up. Which is the opening montage set to a rap song performed... (laughs) by Tim Conway
1: and Ice Tea. Oh yeah, this blew uh, my mind. I didn't know this, did you guys know going in that this was a thing? You yes, did. I like, did. I had no idea, so imagine me watching, I'm, I'm gonna watch this movie for the podcast, <laughs> and I'm listening to this going, is that fucking Iced Tea? That's not fucking Ice. Tea, is that Iced Tea? And I'm looking it up on the internet like, God damn it, is this Iced Tea? And then finding out it was Iced Tea and immediately messaging you guys like, what the fuck is going on? I hope he got paid well. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a strange era for Ice T, right?
2: Rap- he, I think he wrote the yeah. raps for the movie Rapin and for he has a rap song on the Breakin' soundtrack. I think.
1: Hey, he's just he, he, he's building his career. No, he's talked about this that he there was a really a feeling that. What he wanted to do, which was write the sort of music that he ended up writing later, that people didn't do that. You didn't make money doing that. You had to write party music. And he tried writing party music. And obviously, he made some money writing party music, but he fucking hated it. He's like, this sucks. Like, why am I doing this? And then he just was like, fine, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then exploded. Like, nobody knew who he was before he started talking <laughs> about, like, you know, violence and drugs. Like, nobody knew, had heard of him, really. And then suddenly he starts doing the thing that he was always told, don't do that. At Sucks and he's huge you know
2: I mean look that's probably the real story But it just as much could be that He's following trends to a certain extent I mean you know the mid 80s rap scene would have been so Different anyway It, I don't True. think It would have been necessarily looked down upon To do like like you said this kind of Party rap stuff hey you got a gig in a major motion picture, doing the main the theme song for it, that probably felt like a pretty sweet gig at that time. And uh, and he was just a rap guy who was able to work in the yeah. Hollywood system. But I mean, and obviously he's he's been flexible in regards to the kind of music he's made since,
0: or the kind of roles he takes. Because yeah, that's true. You know, his biggest he's he's probably best known at this point for playing a cop for yeah. many years. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think anyone himself. would have predicted that. <laughs> but yeah, that. Uh, Let's talk, let's talk about the song Because it is not good And a lot of that has to do with Tim Conway rapping Which should not be a thing But also the production is just really bad
2: yeah. I talked to the jock And he say it's a lock The horse a lock Who
1: told the jock She told me this horse can fly You sure his shoe's
2: a reliable guy I tell you
1: this horse gonna win by five
0: I mean, I don't really know if there's that much more to say about well, the song, I guess.
2: It, it, the thing is, if someone said to you it has a song with Tim Conway rapping with ice tea and you pictured it in your mind, that's it. That is exactly yep. what it is. It's just as ridiculous and bad. And it's also – look, Tim Conway – and this is something that I just really want to reinforce. I think he is a good comedic actor, particularly in sketches yeah. and things like that. He just can do a lot of things. He can both do straight man and goofy stuff. But he's an older gentleman. He's a guy in his mid-50s at this point that he's making this movie, doing this rap song. I mean, it is so cringe. And I hesitate to use that word, cringe, because I'm pretty old myself. But Jesus, when you're listening to it, you're like, Ugh. It also sets a weird tone for the movie. It just, you know, you're getting this this montage of all the stuff happening at the, uh, at the horse track And it's trying to kind of establish what that is What that world is like Something I have no experience with whatsoever So it's good to have it I think it's a really well edited montage But you have this fucking ridiculous song Playing on the soundtrack that is so distracting And it's not even just a rap song It's like a conversation between these two people In the rap song Yeah, yeah, it's it's wild <laughs> Of course, we'll Strange. play some of that <laughs> here So everyone can enjoy it
0: <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's uh worth pointing out that the inclusion of that song was apparently a producer mandated thing. It was not Paul Bartel saying, You know what this movie really needs is a a, a rap Theme,
1: you know, what would make this movie really, Tim really work.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking like Mike Nichols is like, look, you know what? Music was so much of a part of the Graduate. The music of the moment was so important. What we need here is a similar Simon and Garfunkel voice of the age. <laughs> and
1: so you get
2: Tim <laughs> Conway and Ice T.
0: The other, the one other thing I have a note about is that this is yet another Paul Bartel film featuring a Mexican stereotype character. <laughs>
2: At least it's actually played by a Hispanic actor this time. Yeah, that yeah. Doesn't make it and, that I much
0: mean, so better. is the character in eating Raul.
2: <laughs> oh, that that is true as well.
0: Yeah, it's a. Uh... But I didn't realize it was such a theme <laughs> until we started watching these movies in chronological order.
2: It might be the most consistent theme when you considering his movies of the '80s so far. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's interesting that whole that whole side plot where part of the reason that they think they have a shot of winning is because they're going to drug a horse <laughs> so it can run really fast. Hey, I mean, it's uh, a lot of half-baked ideas, I think, in this, generally.
0: Yeah, I agree.
2: Adriana, what movie did you prefer between this and Not For Publication? Do you think that Not For Publication... Not For Publication. Because it, it has more of Paul Bartell in it?
0: It has more of Paul Bartel in it. I think the subject matter is more interesting. Um, and, yeah, again, just going back to a point I made earlier, it just, it just feels... You can feel more of Paul Bartell's individual uh personality and sensibility in that movie and uh, i that just just it doesn't really come across at all uh to me in the long shot
2: it feels like the most divorced from Paul Bartel's sensibility. Yeah. I mean, this is a work for hire piece, which I think Paul Bartel was very honest about, and I think yeah. it kind of soured him on doing that. Maybe you wouldn't have some of his films that are we're going to be watching next if he didn't have this experience um, right. beforehand. But uh, I do want to ask... Paul Bertel's in that opening montage, right? He's the guy staring at the woman. Yeah, he's
0: sitting with the binocular. He's like sitting next to a woman and he has binocular. He's holding binoculars up to his eyes so he can stare at her. I don't know if it's her ass or her breast. I can't remember. But one of those things. It's just really funny, especially if you know anything about Paul Bertel.
1: I mean, Is, is that the only part he's in? I thought I saw him in another part of the movie. It's fully possible, but that's that's the only yeah. part I remember him from. But
0: yeah, that's the only part I remember too. If
1: if anyone is listening to this and they've seen this movie and they notice him somewhere else, there's I if I, I wish I could nail it down, but I can't remember. What I'm talking about. But there was another part where not only did I think it was him, I thought, oh, has he looks like he he looks noticeably a little older than the last thing we saw him in, hmm. which is why I kind of noticed it. It's really quick, and I think it's at the racetrack. But I really thought it was him. I don't know. I I could be wrong. I don't know. (laughs) The other thing I want to say is I feel like this movie – I feel like part of what's supposed to be fun about this movie is just these characters, which he is satirizing these men, but also in a way where he thinks, like, they're relatable. And, like, I – couldn't think of four more characters i understand or relate to less than these men you know what i mean like i i yeah they're it's like lovingly making fun of them and i'm like is this real are these people real i don't i don't have this affection man i don't know what this and, and again i don't think it's paul Martel. i think it's the script the script is yeah. like yeah like, they're like lovable scoundrels and i'm like these fuckers what are we doing i don't understand what's happening here i think and if somebody this,
0: like elaine may had written this movie it totally would have Made a massive difference, right, right,
2: right? I mean, that's safe to say. I, I would figure, yeah. If the writing well, was well, good, instead of bad. Well, you know what I mean, though.
0: Like there are there are there are certain writers or filmmakers who I think could absolutely make characters like this very dimensional and compelling and even relatable to a certain degree. But I don't think that this movie and this script succeeds in
2: doing that. Absolutely. It's the key. It's the key to why it doesn't work, is that why the fuck should we care about these four characters? Why should we care about Tim Conway, Harvey Korman, Jack Weston, and Ted Wass as friends? They're losers. Yes, okay. And that's a relatable thing. They, They... the only thing they want to achieve is this small thing, which I guess that's also, I mean, that's a relatable thing as well, but they're not likable. They don't interact in ways that makes you think, oh, you know, even if, um, even if they're kind of assholes to each other and throw out the F slur every once in a while, that they also, they Uh, love each other and care. There's no sense that they actually even like each other that much. That you don't get a, you don't get a strong sense of why Tim Conway's character and Harvey Corman's character are friends and they were real life friends. You don't even get a sense of that friendship. It's There's no warmth here and so all you have are these kind of cartoon characters and honestly i don't know why there's four of them <laughs> i know that's a weird complaint as well but it's just like it, it it feels that it's just we need more characters to fill out more running time and this movie just limps to that 90 minute mark yeah as well. yeah. Oh, yeah
1: yeah yeah um also one can is... say it is
0: a name horse
1: <laughs> this is also this is set in uh la right Sure. Good <laughs> question.
0: I honestly have no clue
1: what's supposed to be. <laughs> well, because, so I thought for a while it was Chicago, because multiple of these guys have Chicago accents, like not even trying to hide at Chicago accents, but then there's palm trees in the shots. In multiple shots, there are palm trees, and I'm like, where the fuck did these fuckers live? I don't know what's happening right now.
2: I'm. Looking up, well, of course, yes, it absolutely was was filmed in California. I imagine it's set there as well. But yeah, that's another thing. You don't get a real sense of
1: the geography of no. the place. All no, get yeah, a where sense, are they at? Who cares? They're just old, old white men who are losing money. That's you all. You don't even really get a get. sense
2: of like, like they're all, like Tim Conway is supposed to be like a shoe salesman, but you never see him selling shoes. Which no, no. even that could just be an, a way to flesh out the idea that oh, he's a lovable loser. But that's the thing about making a movie about a lovable loser. If they're not lovable. You're just watching some loser. (laughs) Horses are cool. I like horses, (laughs) but I hate horse racing. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. They do nothing to humanize it.
1: (laughs) The whole time you're like, "Fuck, man, really? This is what we're doing." There's also, oh boy, I hate to bring this up.
2: There's, there's that black character in the movie, the one who has that really good relationship with the horse. He likes to wear the red shirt, and the horse he has this long. Mm. There's that one scene with him. And it's so strange because he's like the one completely taken seriously character in the entire movie, but it also kind of feels stereotypical. Do you know, yeah, what I'm like the it,
0: wise Negro. It trail. does
2: have that kind of playing into it. But the fact that they introduce this guy and though they bring up the idea that he says about the red shirt later on, but they never show him again in any scene. Just a weird, weird decision.
1: It's almost like he's magical.
2: I mean, it is kind of like that. I mean, that is what they're getting across here. I will say, you know what? I'm going to throw out a couple of of positive things to say about it because I don't want to be so negative. I think Ted Watts does a good job in a role that shouldn't exist probably at all. I think he's pretty good as a comedic performer. I think Stella Stevens does a pretty good job in an impossible role where she's supposed to be both alluring and insane at the same time. (laughs) Uh, And um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Even Jonathan Winters when he shows up is a huge disappointment
0: and I think when we talked about this before recording you you made this point Doug but like I think the MVP of this movie is Alan TuBayan as editor
2: uh, I I really believe like the opening montage and the closing section of the horse race the fact that I was so uninvolved in whether they won or not, but I still felt some tension as we have Tim yeah. Conway running onto the racetrack and the way that that all plays out. I think that that is actually that's all in the editing that makes those sequences work. And it's just, absolutely uh, for a movie that also like we can't you really can't overstate the fact that the, the fact that Robbie Mueller was the fucking cinematographer yeah. this and it looks like this. It's like what is going on here? <laughs> like a racetrack has like all sorts of really interesting visual and compositional uh, 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 potential. But boy, this movie, you don't even really get a sense of what the racetrack looks like outside of this is what this part looks like. And this is where their box seats are that they just sit in every single time. That's also another reason it feels kind of sitcom ish. It's like, you're just moving from stage to stage. Yeah, man, <laughs> I guess what we're getting across is that we didn't much like this. Movie. <laughs> I have some but, friends, you know, Some friends on Letterbox gave this uh, some pretty high marks. They were, they, I think, they were just like, "I'm in it for seeing Tim Conway being a goof, and that's what he is doing."
0: I mean, and that's that's totally valid. Uh, do either of you have any final thoughts on the film before we wrap things up?
2: Oh, wrap? Are we going to wrap things up
0: with iced tea? Oh, do you want more to like? <laughs> I don't have anything more to say about this movie, do you guys?
2: <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I, I was just making a joke about the rap song at the beginning. No, there's not...
0: There's not. Oh my God, say. duh. <laughs> there's
2: also a closing theme song, I think, that that they sing about the long shot, which I'll try to include it here as well. Hey. Oh, yeah. It is a nothing movie. It's a movie that you. it's so hard to care about, and the only reason... There's two reasons that anyone would possibly care about this movie. It's because they're a big fan of Tim Conway and his career, for whatever reason. You could watch the Dorf movies if you're really into that sort of shit. You could even find Eddie Deason in those movies <laughs> if you want to see that. <laughs> um, or you care about Paul Bartel. And if you care about Paul, Paul, Paul Bartel, this will be the least satisfying movie to watch yeah. because there's there's outside of the fact that he shows up once or maybe twice in it and that he has some of his usual collaborators that are involved in some way. This is the uh, as, as distinct from the attitude and the kind of content that he has been bringing into the movies that we've covered so far, as we've seen so far. So, I mean, it's, uh, my understanding, and this is from the, the 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 pages that you sent over, Adriana, is that he was, not that he was struggling necessarily, but he was having a little difficulty putting together film projects that were getting off the ground, and this probably seemed like a really good opportunity, and everyone was positive, and, you know, having Mike Nichols on board was, was I'm sure, a big feather in his cap. It's a, uh, it's a little bit sad to watch, actually.
0: Yeah, but then we know that, like, the next thing he did was the amazing story, Secret Cinema, which he he did very much have a significant in- involvement in. Uh, and then his next feature film is great. Uh, scenes from a Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, which will be the next movie that we cover on the show. But uh, real quick, I just wanna mention, uh, cause you've alluded to this this book. Mm-hmm. So I just wanna uh, give a shout out to Stephen B. Armstrong, whose Paul Bartel biography, Paul Bartel, the life and films has been a very invaluable resource to us for the show. And in the case of this episode, it is the only source of information we could find really about the making of the long shot uh, and, and about you know Paul Bartel's thoughts on this movie. So thank you, Stephen Armstrong, for all of your hard work and research and your wonderful biography.
2: Yeah, very much so. And in fact, the only other really resources we saw were contemporaneous resources, and those are kind of useless because it's just people being overwhelmingly positive. It's like we're going to make a great movie. when well, this is a really you know this yeah. subject matter. We love it so much, and it's just like this. This is what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a. It, it's good to have. And it's good to have someone who cared enough to put together uh, the information that allowed us to have a little more perspective on this because it does seem at odds with the entirety of Paul Bartel's career. But it also in some ways feels like a natural progression of someone who's trying to make work that could be more mainstream. And I love that his response to making it was, "All right, you know what, I'm going to make my own kind of movie.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, on the next episode of Bar Tell Me Something Good, we will be discussing 1989 scenes from The Class Struggle in Beverly Hills.
1: I'm pretty excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that one is very entertaining and it also has an amazing cast. Um, Including Wallace Shawn.
2: Yeah, Wallace Shawn. I'm so excited just to have
0: Comrade Uh, Wallace. uh,
2: That's
0: that's right. (laughs) My man.
2: I'm just excited to have Paul Bartell's name on the writing credit again.
0: uh, Yeah, and it's a movie that very much feels like a Bartell movie. Yeah. So I'm excited to get back to that kind of movie on the show.
2: Comrade Wallace Shawn and not Comrade Robert Beltran. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Well, fellas. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? You know, things you have going on creatively. Doug, I'll start with you. You have I know that No Budget Nightmares just recently came back, so you can talk about, about that. I'm sure people would be interested to hear about the return of your iconic <laughs> podcast
2: well uh yeah no budget nightmares a podcast devoted to micro budget and shot on video cinema that i've been doing since 2011 at this point uh it's uh it was on hiatus for almost three years uh during the pandemic and my co-host was having some issues that he was uh, getting through and we recently made a return you can find that over at no budget podcast.com and we're on patreon slash uh, sorry Pat- <clears throat> we're also on patreon patreon.com slash no budget nightmares once you check us out uh There'll be more episodes to come Probably monthly going forward If I can uh, get my co-hosts to k- commit to uh, getting together for that. But yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's been taking up some of my time lately And of course Cinema Smorgasbord The podcast that you're listening to right now Comes out every single Monday at cinemasmorgasbord.com You can find the latest episodes, however, over at cinepunks.com Which is also in the midst, as you're, as of the time that you're likely listening to this Of their Cineween event But I'm sure Liam can tell you more about that
1: yeah, so we are taking the month of October to celebrate Halloween and all things spooky. Uh, we have a few things going on. We have a regular column that actually Doug came up with in defense of, where people are choosing maybe underseen or under discussed uh, horror films and, and, you know, endorsing them, explaining why they think they're great. Uh, we have our. Um, 31 Days of Cineween, where we have a theme for each day, and I pick some movies, Adriana picks some movies, we have a few listeners who've picked some movies, Uh, we'd love for you to be posting about those, your reviews and things that you've watched, hashtag Cineween, C-I-N-E-W-E-E-N, and uh, we have some more writing coming out as well, uh, including um, some of our uh, friends who don't. Often, right are checking in for the Halloween season. I have a few things planned. Uh, and at some point, we're gonna try to do a Twitch stream uh, mm-hmm. and show some fun movies. Uh, that's, you know, that's depending on schedule. We'll see when that happens, but uh, we'll, we'll make a big announcement on social media. If you're not following CinePunks, we are on Blue Sky, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, And, of course, I am on Blue Sky, Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z.
0: Thank you, Liam. Well, that about wraps things up. Uh, Thank you for listening, and until next time. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.